So, Gray, when we knew that we were going to be in San Francisco together, um, I was thinking how interesting it would be to record Cortex in person, especially when you put it on the calendar. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, look at this. We're going to be in San Francisco. It's going to be a, a new experience, like recording in the same room. We've never done that before. So here we are. We're in San Francisco, both in the same hotel, uh, recording the show. Uh, but can you tell people where you are right now? I am in my hotel room talking to you in your hotel room. Yeah. This is the way podcasts were meant to be, Mike. It never occurred to me that we'd be recording in person. This is how I always envisioned this moment. We're like in the same building and we're talking on Skype. It just, <laughs> this is so inefficient. No, but this is perfectly efficient. You shouldn't do a podcast while looking at your podcasting co-host. I feel very strongly about this. You should only ever hear them because the audience only ever hears them. And also, it's super weird to record podcasts in person. I, I would be so uncomfortable if I was looking in your little mic eyeballs right now and trying to record a show. I don't think I could do it. I feel like you need to be starting the show by going like, live from San Francisco, it's Mike and Gray. <laughs> it's the Mike and Gray variety hour. Yeah, even though we are in the same hotel room, it does still feel different somehow. I don't know how, but it does feel... I mean, maybe it's different because I had to see you five minutes ago to grab your iPad to tether to to do the show in the first place. And so it was a little weird seeing you in person doing the show. Uh, But yeah, so it does feel different. A hundred percent of everything is different. I'm not using the right computer. I'm not using any of my own equipment. Mm -hmm. I'm recording in front of a mirror, which is really uncomfortable. I've never recorded a podcast in front of a mirror before, (laughs) but I'm doing that. Right, but now just imagine that mirror was me and how much more uncomfortable would you be? That's why this is the right way to do this right now. Okay, that makes sense. But we did actually (laughs) record something in person, didn't we? A couple of days ago as we record this. We recorded the first annual RelayCon uh, in person. A little surprise. We kept it we kept it secret until the last moment that I was going to be showing up at the end to say hello to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, that was actually a lot of fun, right? Because you, I think we we met each other on Sunday or Saturday, um, and we kind of had to keep you a secret in San Francisco until Monday night, which even included, because we had a, a an event, we had a, an audience of people, that as people were coming in, I asked you to not speak. <laughs> like, don't talk to anybody, because you'll give the game away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a funny ex- it was a funny experience in the preparation for the show because obviously you and Steven were doing all of the setup like you're getting the stage ready and you have everybody there and I'm there because I want to see the environment like where what is this going to look like how is the stage going to be set up you need to be there in advance for one of these events but then as people started trickling in I was I was just in what was a very natural role decided to play the antisocial nerd and just stand in a corner and look at my phone for the entirety of the pre-preparation everybody's coming in the room uh part of the show and it's like great this is this is the perfect camouflage i'm just going to stand here i'm going to look at my phone i'm going to go over the notes for what we're going to do on stage and hopefully no one will come up and talk to me which is exactly what happened so perfect camouflage yeah, it went really well. And this section that we did on stage together was really fun. I enjoyed it a lot. You gave me a great gift, which was terrifying for me. Yes, for people who were not there in person, the one thing that I think the the live viewers were able to see, that I was able to see the best, that was my absolute favorite, was the terror in Mike's eyes of having a uncontrollable CGP Grey on stage like you, there were quite a few times when I would start to say something, and I, and I feel like 
you suddenly realized this is live. Like you can't you can't do anything now. And you didn't know what was going to happen. I, I would like start to tell a story and I could see in your eyes, like, what is he going to say? And then I was a little bit mean because I thought you didn't know that I was going to bring you a little gift. Nope. But I thought, oh, I know what I'll do with Mike. When I come on stage, I will have it in my hand and I will place it on the table right in between the two of us and point to it to make sure that you can see what it is. And you went to go grab it. And I was like, no, the mystery box is for later. <laughs> so. Yeah, and this is all off microphone, if I remember. You were kind of just like, don't look in that now, leave it there. And I'm like, oh, what is in this box? <laughs> I didn't I didn't for one moment expect it was a gift. I just didn't know what it was. <laughs> it was off microphone, but I just, it was a little bit mean, but I did want to kind of plant the idea in your head like, oh, there's a mystery box on the table. What's in the mystery box? Like, what's in the box, man? Right, you'll find out later. You'll find out at the end. And what was in the box, Mike? A wooden bow tie. It was the most beautiful hipster bow tie yep. I had ever seen, and I thought I had to get it for you. Well, the best moment is when I realized it was made of wood, because I opened the box and just thought it was a nice bow tie, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, thank you, and then I picked it up and screamed, I think, <laughs> with laughter when I found out it was made of wood, and I put it on, and I wore it for the rest of the evening, uh, and was worried that I was going to slice my jugular with it, because every now and then, I would move my head. And I would feel it mm-hmm. like, graze against my neck. And I was like, oh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> but isn't this the epitome of fashion, Mike? That something is supposed to look fabulous, mm-hmm. but be terrifyingly uncomfortable. Isn't that what high fashion is? And you look very fashionable. It's kind of like the MacBook Adorable, right? Like it looks fabulous, but there is just so much terror when you use it in case the battery runs out. Or I will not let you besmirch the reputation of the MacBook Adorable like that. I've been using it for whatever it is, you know, almost two weeks now since the last time we spoke about it. I absolutely love this machine. I'm using it right now, and uh, I'm sure you will be happy to know that for the bargain basement price of $80, I was able to get an adapter. That allows me to plug in the power and the microphone at the same time. It's a total steal. At the same time that Gray buys that adapter, he tries to convince me to buy a MacBook. Mm-hmm. And you got close, man. I I mean, I've liked them for a while, but when I had to put this MacBook Pro in my bag to travel here, mm-hmm. ugh, yeah. it was like carrying 20 computers. Like we said a long time ago, it's this brick of obligation. Right? It just It just feels heavy. It's huge. It's this thing that you have to carry. And I'm feeling really smug about myself because everyone was saying, oh, there's going to be new computers at WWDC, and they weren't. So uh, it's like, oh, yeah, even even better decision to get my little MacBook adorable. Yeah, I wish I would have had the gray approach because I would have done it beforehand. Because there's another point. There's no point buying it now because then I'm bringing two computers home. Uh, That would kind of suck. Everything should be more gray. Great ideas don't come along very often. And this is especially true if the idea that you've had results in you wanting to sell something. Once you've had that great idea, you need somewhere to actually sell it online. Then once you've finally got around to getting that online store set up just the way that you want, you'll need to get the perfect domain name for it. And finding that perfect domain is ridiculously easy with Hover. Hover makes it so simple to find that unique and relevant domain name. They have over 400 domain extensions to enter domain with, like the perfectly just launched .store, which is the very best way to tell people, to tell the world that your website is where they should be going to spend their money on your new and amazing thing. This domain extension is an excellent way to get your store to stand out head and shoulders above 
the rest. If you're looking to sell anything online, this new option is an absolute no-brainer and should be the first stop you make on the road to launching your idea to the world. Hover makes it super simple to help get your new domain set up with your online store that you've just created and will provide you with the tools you need to connect that domain in just a few clicks. You've already done all the hard work. You've come up with the idea. You've got the thing that you want to sell. You've been working on it for so long. Let Hover take care of all this mess for you. Just go to Hover.com and use the promo code TRAVEL at checkout to save 10% off your first purchase. They have tons of other domain options as well. Go check them out. Thank you so much to Hover for their support of this show. So the RelayCon event was it was an interesting setup and it was it was different for both of us, I think. For you, I guess this was maybe the first podcast you've ever done where what was said just was released. Yeah, yeah. Th- I mean that that was a strange thing for me because for 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 listeners who have never done something like a podcast, there the when you are speaking and aware that a thing is going to be recorded, you can just talk in a different way than you normally do. Because you know, for example, if you if you say something and, and you mess it up, you can just start again and you cut out the part that was messed up. And this this happens all the time on the podcast that I do, where you, you say a thought and then you go, Oh, wait, I just flubbed that. <laughs> Let me like re record a line and, and do it again. And it's a better listening experience. And I know that you do a bunch of your shows live and speaking with people who do most of their podcasts live, th- they learn to just talk in a different way than I am on a podcast where they are aware that it is live and kind of, and, and like focused on that. And I, th- I think there's a real difference. Like these are two different skills talking live on a podcast or talking for a podcast that you know is going to be edited and released later. And that's one of the reasons why we don't record Cortex live for the listeners. Whereas a bunch of relay shows, like you can listen to them live. You can, if you want Download the Relay app and get little notifications for when those shows goes live and, and, and listen to them then. But we don't do that because I prefer to talk for the recording. Mm-hmm. But yes, this was different because I did know like, okay, this is going out live right now. There are X number of people you know, around the world listening to it, plus uh, the people who are actually in the room. And so that, that makes it a much more high pressure environment because... You look like a total weirdo if you start to say a sentence and then you say, oh, uh, let me start again. And then you say the sentence again. You look like a broken human being. Like, what's wrong with that guy? Ignore that. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> Strike that from the record, people. We're going to do it again. And so doing it live is, is much more intense. But luckily, yeah. in my former life, I was a teacher, which is like doing a whole bunch of live presentations. And I have given other live talks on other topics in my previous work and side projects. So I'm, I am used to that environment. So for me, it was just a, a question of mode switching of this is a presentation. This is like standing up uh, at the front of the assembly hall in a school. And it's just a totally different mode. So my, my brain actually didn't treat that at all like I am recording a podcast with Mike because I think I couldn't have done that if I was thinking about it as a podcast. I had to yep. think of it more like I am doing a tiny presentation. And that's why uh, we'll put it in the show notes. People can listen to the live RelayCon recording. But if you hear me talking there, uh, I think I saw a number of comments from people saying that I sound really different. And the answer is because 
it's presentation mode, and that's that is a skill that you can learn. And it, but it's a very very different thing from what's happening now, which is I am alone in a hotel room talking to Mike, who is somewhere else. Like you spent the majority of the time addressing the audience as opposed to talking to me, which was it's very different. Yeah, and that was that was another one of those things where sitting on stage, I could see that you you were having a bit of the like who the hell is this guy reaction. I've never seen you move the way you were moving. Like your arms were uh-huh. all over the place. You were rocking back and forth on your chair, talking to the audience, cracking jokes, taking control. I'm like, what is this man? Who is this? Do I don't know what he looks like anymore. And it's just somebody else. They rolled in off the street. It was very different for me. There was like a moment where I was like, ah, oh, I need to change everything about what I'm doing. Right. Cause I had a whole, you know, my the way that I planned everything out, I had kind of set questions for everyone which which was a whole big kettle of fish because i mm-hmm. had like m- just a couple of hours to get everything ready from like keynote to show which was mm-hmm. uncomfortable for me uh mm-hmm. but when we set everything up uh, i was trying to be like how am i going to help greg get through this mm-hmm. but you just took control and ran with it and i was like my job's easy i'll just scream at both eyes there's no problem here <laughs> Yeah, but that, but that's why the, the the live viewers got to see the look in Mike's eyes, which I totally cherished. Of of like, I am losing control in this situation. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Uh, but but you but you point out that like it's a little thing. But you know, if anyone's ever on stage, like I made a conscious decision to do a thing which was sit further from you than I would if we were just talking to each other at like a lunch. All right, it's so, like I'm going to be further away from you. And then I intentionally, uh, there are some, some photos where you can, you can see it, but I am basically like three quarters of the way facing the audience and one quarter of the way facing you. And this is what I mean by like, you can learn presentation skills if you yep. do this a bunch, because it's, it's, it's a situation where it's like, Mike asks me a question and then I would turn to the audience to talk. And if you're ever on stage and you do that kind of thing, you can't help but talk in like a louder, more animated voice when you're looking at a group of people mm-hmm. because your monkey brain is aware, oh, like there's people way in the back over there. They can't they can't see you very well. And so you, you have to talk much more loudly. Whereas if like I sat really close to you and looked like right into your eyes, you know, straight at you, you're going to talk in a in a different way. So like but that's just a that's just like a trick to get your monkey brain to act in a certain way that it wouldn't naturally do it you know this is like the the staging of of an environment so it's you know it's an interesting experience uh it's not necessarily like a thing that i super like to do like live high stakes presentations but it is a it is a totally like a learnable skill and it's a it's a thing that you can get better at with with practice did you enjoy it though? Like, was there? I know, I know it's difficult because it's difficult for me as well. Um, like mm-hmm. leading up to it, I just felt terrible, right? Like I was just. Mm-hmm. I pre- I'm always like this of any kind of speaking thing, right until the moment where it starts, I feel terrible, and then when, as soon as it begins, I'm I'm good to go. Uh, but overall, like I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm very happy that we did it, and I'm really happy that I was able to put the surprises in that I was able to put mm. in and structure it the way that I did because I think it made it a really fun event for people listening. But did you actually enjoy being a part of it? Okay, so there's two separate things here. The the first question is, did I enjoy being a part of RelayCon? 
And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Like it was fun to be there. It was it was fun to have a little secret and then yeah. a surprise for everybody. Like, I was so excited. I think when you listen to the audio <laughs> and I get to that final segment, you can hear me. Like I'm like so I'm like so giddy at that point. Yeah, yeah. You're like you're like a little boy. I know something you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what's happening there. So having the surprise, you know, having a little bit of a secret, that was fun. And I also have to say, like, I am not a super social person, and this whole week has been just incredibly draining in a variety of ways for me. But again, an event like RelayCon is a thing that I can mentally prepare for, and I can shift into a different mode for. And so there's like the fun before of getting ready for the surprise. And then on stage is a totally different thing. This is this is like a moment of working. And like I said before, it's it's a skill that you can learn to get better at. When I used to be like a, a student in school, like in high school, I would hate public speaking. And I, I think a lot of people probably have the experience that they really, really hate public speaking because they're, the last time they did it was when they had to get up and give you know a book report or whatever at school. Like, and it's not a fun environment. Right? That's not a, that's not an enjoyable experience having to do that because like, oh, it's school. Here's you have to give a presentation on a bunch of busy work that matters to nobody and nobody cares about, not even your classmates. You know, nobody's interested. You're not interested in the thing that you're talking about. Your teacher, quite frankly, is only feigning interest in whatever you're talking about. None of your classmates care what you're talking about. Like that experience that most people have with public speaking is just about the worst possible environment to ever experience what public speaking is like. But I think it's most people's last memories of it. And it wasn't until I was in college and had to start doing some presentations on research material that I was working on where it was, oh, I am now doing a presentation on a topic that is of interest to me. And then two people who are in the same field where they are interested in it. And now that's a very different experience. And so the relay thing falls into that event where it's like I'm giving a presentation We're talking about stuff that is of interest to me. We're talking about like Apple stuff and we're talking about programming and developments in the Apple world. And we're doing it in front of an audience of people who have flown from very far locations to be there. It's like that that situation is totally different because the audience wants you to do well and you're talking about a thing that is of interest to you. So it's it's much, much easier to do that kind of thing than what most people think of as public speaking. So. It's still for me, it's still high stakes. And I, and I often have this little bit of experience of like almost like it's a bit of a blackout between stepping on stage and stepping off stage. Yep. Like I really do just mainly have the memory of Mike's terrified eyes on stage. And then when I think about it now, I'm really thinking about having listened to the recording. So it's, al- it's almost like I black out for a little bit. So it's hard to say that being on stage is super fun. But it's, it's a different experience than what most people are probably thinking of as public speaking. But the thing that I really did like then is I'm at RelayCon. I can prepare for this kind of event where, one, I'm giving a presentation. And then, two, I know that I'm going to hang out afterwards and say hi to people in the audience. And, and being prepared for that, it's like, oh, this is kind of great. I get off stage and I have to say uh, the, the, the evening was... Uh, me just kind of bouncing from person to person and hearing a similar thing over and over again, which was great. 
which was people talking about how listening to this show with us has either motivated them to start seriously working on side projects or has helped them clarify their thinking about prioritization in their life or helped them thinking through the reasons for doing stuff, making intentional decisions. And so like that, that was really great. That was really great to just bounce around from people and they're like, you know, I, you know, I had one guy come up to me and said, like, he, you know, he started to teach himself programming entirely because of listening to the show because he'd just been, like, thinking about it, but then realized, why don't I just just start? Like, this is a really sensible way to spend a bunch of my time, you know. And so that kind of thing is really nice. You, you know, you feel like you're having a, an influence on people who are hearing what you are saying. And it's nice to hear that kind of thing for me in person in an environment where I am prepared for it. Like people are going to come up to me and they're going to say hi. And then like, I'm ready to have little conversations with people. So it was, it was fun. It was, it was enjoyable. Yeah. I'm really pleased we did it. And even for just that after part where I can, people can come up and say the shows that they like and, and what they like about them. And I love to talk to people about this sort of stuff. It's just nice to be in a place where you have people telling you that they enjoy your work and that it makes a difference and i've heard people say to us this to me about cortex we did a, a meet up in london before we came out to san francisco and i met a few people mm -hmm. there as well who were saying same the similar things like cortex has you know inspired me to do the writing project that i've wanted to do and stuff like that and it's really nice to hear that and, and it's especially nice to hear that stuff when you can see someone's face as they're saying it to you yeah i agree it's 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 a different kind of feedback than it is getting an email or or seeing comments on on Twitter. Yep, it's just different when like you're shaking the hand of the guy who's really happy that a thing in his life is different now. Like it's just it's a it's a different experience to have that. And and like you say, this you know I've I've never been out to WWDC before. Like this this whole week, in addition to even just the RelayCon part of it, has that characteristic of of what you were just saying. Of there's this unique feeling when you have a group of people who are together who are all sharing the same or similar interests you know it's 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 just different and so i feel like at that RelayCon event it was not a bar full of strangers right? like it's it's a room full of people and everyone in that room knows they can have a starting point for a conversation with any other person in that room right you could just say yep. Hey, you know, what are your favorite shows? Like, what do you like to listen to? Or, you know, what did you think about the event today at Apple? Like, everyone in that room can just start a conversation with somebody else, and you know, you have a like a commonality, and that's that's really nice. I think packs of monkeys they really like that. They really need that. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks are on a mission to help small business owners save time and avoid the stress that comes with running their businesses. And one of the most stressful things about running your own business is getting paid. Anything that you can do to make getting paid simpler and easier, you should do. And FreshBooks helps out with that. They do pain-free invoicing. They have created a super intuitive tool that makes sending and creating invoices very simple. Your invoices can look great with your own company logo. You can send them out in seconds and 
Most importantly, FreshBooks gives your clients as many ways to pay as possible. They can pay you with their credit card. They can pay you with their PayPal account. They can pay you with all kinds of different ways. And the more options you give your clients to pay you, the faster you get that money. In fact, FreshBooks has measured this, and they know that FreshBooks customers get paid five days faster on average. And as someone who runs a business, I know this is true because while I don't send out a lot of invoices, I do pay a bunch of invoices. And I totally do pay the FreshBooks ones faster. They have a bunch of other nice features where you can see if someone has looked at your invoice so they can't pretend like they never got it. And you can also set up automatic late payment reminders too. FreshBooks has a ton of other useful features like keeping track of your expenses, automatically importing bank transactions, and creating expense reports. Getting started with FreshBooks is extremely simple. You don't have to be an accountant to use it. That's the whole point. So FreshBooks is offering a 30-day free trial to listeners of Cortex. No credit card required. Just go to freshbooks.com slash Cortex and enter Cortex in the How You Heard About Us section. That's freshbooks.com slash Cortex. Thank you so much to FreshBooks for supporting Cortex and all of Relay FM. So whilst here we have been engaging in a bunch of activities, and a lot of those have been visits to places, and one of the places that we visited was Facebook. Yeah, hold on a, se- hold on a second here, Mike, because I just want the listener to understand what I was sold on coming to San Francisco this week <laughs> and what I received. Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know there, Mike. A long time ago... Uh, Mike convinced me to book a hotel room in San Francisco with the possibility of coming out for RelayCon and WWDC. Back when this was more just like a glimmer in Mike's eyes, he wanted me to just put put the reservation in the hotel room just so I had it just in case. So I did it and it was fine. And since that point until right before the event, Mike kept selling me this line of, oh, hey, buddy, listen, come on out. It's going to be really easy. There's... There's nothing to do during the days. You're going to have the whole of the days to yourself, uh-huh. really relaxed. Yep. And, you know, maybe there's just like an event in the evening, but there's nothing to do all day long. And so I had this vision of my trip as I'm going to come out here and I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to do my usual little routine. I'm going to, I'm going to find a, a lovely cafe somewhere. I'm going to go. I'm going to do some writing and then I'm going to come back to the hotel I'll change into my exercise outfits. I'm going to go for a run along the bay. I'll come back, shower, relax, get lunch, spend the afternoon reading, you know, and then maybe in the evening there's some dinner I'm going to go to. And this is going to be my time in San Francisco. No, no, that is not what has happened at all. In my defense here, in between... So this I, I this is your doing, not mine. In between, this is no, this is your doing. This uh-uh. is your doing. In, we can let the listener decide here. In between me saying that to you and us mm-hmm. being here now, you mm-hmm. said to me, "You can manage my calendar." Yeah, but I thought I, I vaguely thought that this was what the evening things would be. It's like, oh, Mike, oh, you, you can manage those. my calendar. But also some daytime stuff. And do you know what? Like, we're going to talk about our visit to Facebook. And then at the end of this discussion, again, the listener can decide whether this was something that you are happy you did or not. But <laughs> you said to me, you look after my calendar. You invite me to all of the things. And I did that. I just, I just <laughs> invited you to the things. They went in your calendar. You know, you didn't have to do them. You lived your own life, man. I just made some suggestions. 
No, I understand. I understand. But it's one of these things where it's like little drip, drip, drip. Like for the past, whatever it is, three months, I feel like slowly, piece by piece, stuff has been showing up on my calendar. of like, oh, yeah. Mike invites you to this event. Mike invites you to this event. And I just kind of accepted them. And it wasn't until we were here that I realized what actually was going to occur, which is every day, essentially from the moment I wake up until the moment I sleep, there is something to do. Yeah, quite frankly, there was more on my calendar by the end of this week than I expected there would be. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was surprised by it as well. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I had already, in anticipation of this month of travel and this week in particular, I, I've already like pulled back the amount of work that I was intending to do. But even still, I realized, like, okay, I accomplished gray industries business-wise literally nothing during this whole trip like i didn't open up a text file i didn't reply to an email it's it's like nothing got done in that aspect because there was always something else to do and so what we were about to talk about is we took this this trip you know we we essentially took like a whole road trip for an entire day (laughs) it's like okay i thought i was gonna have a day to myself like nope guess what you're gonna be in the car with three other podcasters driving around all day long seeing a whole bunch of stuff and then you know it was it was just crazy it was it was absolutely it was absolutely just a crazy busy experience <laughs> but not not what i imagined which is like oh this is going to be half a vacation with some you know dinner events to go to it's like nope every day all day stuff to do <laughs> but thank you for arranging it all mike oh it's a pleasure so we took a road trip so it was me and you and federico vatici and stephen hackett we took a road trip down to cupertino we mm-hmm. went to apple's company store took some pictures mm-hmm. outside of infinite loop we weren't allowed inside. No, we weren't allowed, uh, we're inside. allowed inside. We were <laughs> specifically not allowed inside. You got closest. You you walked up to the door, right, to take a picture. Yeah, you guys were even afraid to walk to the the door for some hey, reason. But we're told I, we weren't allowed in. I'm not. I'm not, the furthest I'm going is the sign in the store. That that was that for me. I decided if we've driven all the way down to the One Infinite Loop campus, I'm at very least going to walk right up to the door and press my face against the glass like a sad puppy dog and look inside <laughs> like hey can we come in right like inches away on the other side of the glass is a security guard giving me a severely stern look like yep. no you're not coming in buddy <laughs> you're not allowed in <laughs> which was the complete opposite to our next visit on our road trip which is to facebook yes where they let us go everywhere <laughs> like we could go anywhere we wanted and it was amazing it, it was it was essentially a physical manifestation of the company's corporate policy yeah <laughs> of, yep. of apple nobody comes in we're gonna we're gonna keep it really tight and even you know I, I, while we're down here there have been some people who have been able to gain access like through that front door but even they have described how you see nothing <laughs> like they, they take you down just a hallway like i hope you enjoy looking at the carpet in this hallway at apple and then we're going to kick you right out like this is this is as far as the tour goes so even even if we had been able to get inside we would have seen nothing is is what i have gathered from everybody who got past that security barrier uh it's like okay but that fits with apple everything i know about apple that's the way they work and then facebook was it was almost like too welcoming <laughs> like, like <laughs> come on in i accidentally moved in for a while (laughs) yeah the the facebook offices i i don't even know i i keep thinking of ways to try to describe what this was like but the when you walk through the front door at facebook you then immediately it's essentially facebook this is how i'm going to describe it it is like a walled city there's, yeah. there's a perimeter of buildings around the outside. 
So they do have you know a security barrier that you have to pass through. But once you pass through that, the whole interior, it was it was a town. It it was a town on the inside. There there were main streets. There were restaurants. There were places to get your hair cut. There were sign manufacturing shops. There were bicycles. There were libraries. It was an arcade. There was an arcade. It, it was. It was so strange and unexpected. But it it was just oh. I feel like I've I've walked through a building to get to the other side of this, and I have been transported to a very bustling, busy sort of disneyified college town like that that's that's what it was all of a sudden the way that you can kind of understand this is i went to facebook's offices and got sunburn yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) that's normal i was like going i was like ah i don't need to put any sun cream on i'm going to be in offices for the day no it was inside outside is what it was it was it was it was a town It, it was just a fascinating experience, but I also made the same mental calculation of, do I need to put on sunscreen today? Oh, no, I'm going to go see Facebook headquarters. And I'm, and I'm mentally thinking of the pictures that I've seen. It's like, oh, it's some gigantic open office indoors. Okay, obviously, I don't need to put on any sunscreen. But no, yep. we went to Facebook. We all came home sunburned <laughs> because we didn't realize that we were just going to a town. We were going to go to a town and we were going to walk around and we were going to get ice cream. And we were going to have burritos. We're going to sit outside. You know, it's... Yep. It was it was entirely unexpected. and But we did also go to the big open office. Like, they have multiple areas, and, and kind of the outside area is just one part of their overall campus. Um, mm-hmm. But we did actually go and take a look in that. What is it? We spoke about this on the show before, didn't we? That it's like the largest open plan office in the world. That's that's my understanding of, of what it is. Yeah, that it's, it's the biggest open plan office in the world. And uh, when, when we were there, uh, they were saying how they're, they're busy building like two more of, yeah. of the same size. <laughs> it's like, oh, we have the biggest of this thing in the world, but we need more. Like, this is not adequate. We need two more of the biggest open plan offices in the world. So we, we did get to walk through that enormous space and see it firsthand. I never felt like I could see the end of the room. Even when we went up the stairs and kind of like looked over at the kind of what was below, I just mm-hmm. never felt like I could see the end of it. I think they said something like the loop of it is a half a mile or something like that. Yeah, it's it was one of those things where they, they kept giving crazy numbers. Yeah. Kind of, you know, here's how many people are in this office space. Here's how much it is to walk around the perimeter of it. And I mean, we walked the entire length of it and it was a good long time. Right, to, to get from from one end of the office to the other, and it was it was really interesting to see how a, a company has made a decision to lay out a space, and so uh, we'll, we'll find it for the show notes. But we did discuss just when we saw pictures of the open office layout. We, you know, we had a whole show where we kind of talked about open offices and. The Facebook layout on the inside was was interesting because it did feel like a huge space. I mean, the, the ceiling was forever above you, and so everything just felt big. But you are right that they did a, a, quite a job of making sure that 
you never had an unobstructed sight line to the other end. I think because if you did, you would have vertigo and just fall on the floor and, and probably shiver for a while, right? Just having to see what that looked like. But, but by having these gigantic walls that constantly broke up your, your sight line, I, I think that had I not known what it was beforehand, I could have walked through that entire space and not noticed that it was a single uninterrupted room. Like it could have mm. fooled me into feeling like this is a series of very large rooms that are connected, but not have noticed that it was a, a single uncontained space. So that, that what I was expecting is this, this feeling of I'm going to stand at one end of this football field and look to the other end of the football field and see rows upon rows and rows of desks. You could not have that experience. Even like you said, there was one point where we went up a little staircase and had the, had a high level view of the space. You still, your sight line was still obstructed. And I, I think that had to be on purpose. Like they didn't want someone to be able to stand at the top of the space and be able to oversee it all. Like they wanted to constantly cut off those spaces. Is that how you felt about it? Like, did you kind of have that same feeling like this is a bunch of big rooms or like, what was your reaction to it? Well, there was definite like anchor points that you could mm-hmm. see. So whilst it didn't necessarily feel like rooms, it felt like zones. Mm-hmm. Like that there was, you knew you were in a specific place inside of this big open office. But I still just had like the feeling of, and there's a picture that I took, um, which is kind of like from behind you. So you can kind of like see what a person's view is. And mm-hmm. it it really always looked to me like it went on forever in any mm-hmm. direction that you looked at. Um, and I don't know how I felt about that because it, I can't even imagine how loud that place would be mm-hmm. when it was full. So there wasn't really that many people there. We went on uh, a Wednesday, which apparently is a day where lots of people work from home to kind of break up the, the traveling end of the week. But it felt like, even though there weren't a lot of people there, that there was just like a, a base level of sound constantly. And having worked in offices with just hundreds of people in them, but open plan, it can get really like just loud all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder how that would be in an office that is of the incredible scale that that one is. Yeah, I mean, t- uh, two little sidebars here. The first is, yeah, we, we took this this photo. It'll be in the show notes. We took a photo at this spot because this was the longest uninterrupted sight line in the whole building. So it was notable that when you turned one corner, there was a, a place that you could just look down for forever. Uh, and so I almost think that photo is a bit of an atypical shot from the inside of the Facebook headquarters. But but the thing you mentioned there, and I would I would love because now that now that I have I have met very many, I know that a lot of people who work in San Francisco tech companies listen to the show and i have had this experience now of visiting facebook we also visited dropbox and i've been in the office buildings of a bunch of other like san francisco style tech companies and then also in london like i've been in the google headquarters and youtube headquarters and i've i've experienced the same thing over and over again which is every time i go in one of these open plan offices it seems like nobody is at the desk so I've, I have seen this over and over again. Same. And so, I feel like nobody works in these companies. I never right. see people at the desks. And I, I've done it this time. I've done it last year, same as you. I've done it in London. And it always feels like 
I don't understand why they're making these offices bigger because nobody's here. It's very strange. But the thing that's weird to me is every time I ask every tour guide at every one of these buildings about it, and there is always an explanation, right? They will always say, oh, today's a special day. You know, Wednesdays, people don't work in the offices. It's like, okay, but I've, I've been bumping into people who have been in Facebook at other days of the week. And every one of them I have asked, give me an estimate for how many people were sitting at their desks when you walk through that space. And nobody's given a number higher than 30%, right? When they, when they were there. As like, did, when you asked, did they say that there was something going on? And everybody says the same thing. They're like, oh yeah, you always get some reason for why. And I've had the same thing. Like when we went to Dropbox, it was the same thing. They're like, oh, we've just moved into a new building. So there's not that many people here. But then when I go to the YouTube headquarters and I look around and it's the same thing. It's like rows and rows of desks, maybe 15% of people at the desks. And I asked the person giving me the tour at YouTube, like what? Where is everybody? They always, like every single time there's some reason. And so on an individual basis, you can accept each reason at its face value. But when I compare it to the aggregate of, okay, I have now been to 10 different of these kind of offices in different locations, and it's always the same experience. At that stage, like I have to just discount whatever the individual reasons are. And I have to fall back on, uh, I think what we discussed when we, when we first talked about these open plan offices, that my experience of Google was the people who work here will do anything to not be at their desks. Like maybe you have enough employees on the rolls that you could have everybody sitting in the same spot at the same time. But for whatever reason, like people are trying to work anywhere else that they possibly can. And like that's what I've seen in other places. And so the Facebook one, it seemed like the same experience of, okay, we're going into these open plan offices. And, you know, the day we were there, it it couldn't have been more than 10 percent of those desks were filled. But then you go outside and it's like, oh, it's a huge bustling town, right? Like everybody's walking around, like it's suddenly busy. And so I just, I find myself really wondering about these office setups and and having the same feeling that you do of like, how efficient are these? Or I also just keep finding myself running through the numbers of all of these companies and thinking, what are all of these people doing like i have a hard time understanding like what is occurring in these enormous spaces and i don't know like sometimes i just find myself wondering when people tell you for example how big the company was when they had a lot of users and then you know they they quadruple the the number of users the company has but the staff has gone up by 300%. Right? Yeah. So like you've quadrupled users, but you've 300%ed employees, right? Or you've 1000%ed employees. It seems like, you know, again from talking to to these pe- to people about these types of things, like it takes 50 people to get the first 5 million people, but then takes right. 5000 people to get the next 5 million. Yeah, and something about this just always strikes me as strange. But but, but I, what I wonder is is like are these companies Paying a huge number of people, but those like those additional individuals are working at like ten percent capacity. But it, but like it just doesn't even matter because the company has so much money that it can spend that it still gets a return on investment for someone who's at their desk like a tiny amount of time. I don't know. So here's a thought on this: those initial people 
a potentially like company founders and people mm-hmm. that were in at the beginning, you know, maybe those people, because it, the, the company means more to them, they work differently to people that get hired to do a job. Well, I assume that that has to be the case. And I also assume there's a bit of um, almost like an anthropic principle going on here of the, the companies that are able to have millions of users with 10 employees. Those exist because they ha- they happen to get the right collection of 10 super productive people right at the start. Yep. And you wouldn't hear about that company if it didn't have those exact right 10 people. And so when you're expanding outward from there, like you're, you're, the, the company is so successful because it, it like it it rolled, uh, you know, a, a twelve every time on on the first uh, dozen employees that it that it hired. Like and it's incredibly statistically unlikely, but that's also why the company was incredibly statistically unlikely successful. Uh, it's just I don't know. I, I I just keep finding my mind circling back to this and, and this this feeling of like, like I almost want to sit in the cafeteria of a bunch of these companies all day long and just talk to everybody and, and be like so what do you do and like get like show me on a spreadsheet how much time you're actually working on stuff here like how how many hours is your butt in the seat that is theoretically assigned to you versus how much time do you spend in the beanbag chair in the lobby like I just I just there's something about this I don't understand but find my mind continually circling back on like it was it was absolutely fascinating to to visit facebook but i almost found my mind like unsettled by the whole experience and there was there was a weird moment where so they they have this enormous open plan office and then the whole roof of this building is this stunning park yeah it's it's like we climb up this circular staircase and all of a sudden we are in the middle of of just like this field of wheat almost right like there's there's just like waist high blowing grass in the wind and there's trees and flowers and like hummingbirds are zipping by and there's gazebos the biggest dragonfly i've ever seen i thought it was going to take me away (laughs) yeah you know and it's and we're standing up there and and suddenly like you have this this like view for miles around we're looking across like this huge marsh and you see this the city in the in the distance and and it felt like i was transported to san francisco's version of new york central park all of a sudden like this is an incredibly well-designed park and it has all of these little paths and but after walking through what felt like the town from the 1960s tv show in the uk the prisoner like so we're walking through this manufactured bizarre pretendo town and then we go into this enormous open office space that is bizarrely understaffed but there's a reason but maybe it's always like this because it's like this everywhere that i go and then all of a sudden we're transported to like this fantastic park and then we're sitting in a gazebo hanging out with everybody I really felt my brain was was just like, I cannot accept any more of this. Like my brain was just at capacity for experience and scale. It was like, this is, this is just overwhelming in a way that is hard to define. Like, I don't know if you had that same experience, but I was like, I felt like my brain was really just ready to to shut down by the end of the Facebook door. I just don't think I could work in an environment like it. It is a fantastic environment, but having worked in offices, um, mm-hmm. 
I just think I would struggle with it now. Now, I mean, mm. we both said this. I would love to be in that environment working on my stuff because mm. it's got everything that I need in it, right? Like I could go there and I have access to all these incredible resources, but my feeling mm. is just like I don't know if I could do it inside of an organization but i think that's more of mike's problem with organizations issue than right. facebook's issue because they if you want to work in a company they have provided you with like the perfect office it has yeah. everything and there are a lot of complaints that people make about this type of thing but when i was there and like you know you can laugh about the fact that it has a barbershop in it and stuff like that but when you're there, you're so far away from anything. Like, where Facebook is located, there's nothing around. So if they don't provide it, people can't have access to these amenities. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Like, the, if you, um, maybe we'll put a link in the show notes, but if you, if you, like, just look at the satellite map of where Facebook is, it makes sense that they have built a little walled city because all around it is just wrapping the highway. There's nowhere to walk to outside of it. And so, I, like, if I was Zuckerberg and I was going to build a gigantic company, I would have done the same thing he do, did in this idea of, okay, we just need to build all of the amenities that a literal town's worth of people could need, right? We're going to need parks. We're, go we're going to need a place for people to do their laundry. We're going to need entertainment for people. I, I, I would have done the exact same thing. I, and I, I was saying to someone, I am half surprised they don't have apartments for rent in that complex. Like, they could build an apartment building and have some of their employees just live there. And I'm sure people would happily live there because that Facebook campus is better than many towns I have passed through on travels in my life. Safer like, I, as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, a, yeah, it is, an, it is a fantastic question. What is the crime rate on the Facebook campus? Hmm. I bet it is near zero. Yep. You know? Like I asked somebody, can you sleep here? Mm -hmm. And they were like, you can take a nap, but you can't sleep here. <laughs> you know, like I imagine there's like a do not sleep here. Like, just don't do it. Right. Because if people find out you're doing that, that's terrible. Like, just stop it. Don't just go right. home. Right. You know? But yeah, you can take naps because I was basically I was I was angling for like, yeah, some people do because that basically means, yeah, some people live here. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. To, yeah, but they do. <laughs> Yeah, and and this this is also where like I remember uh, I can't remember what the details were, but but some story came out about like some guy who was living he was living in a rented van, right? Like he got he got fired, but he and his buddy just still lived on the campus and like working on their startup or something. But like having been to Facebook, it's totally understandable. Like how does that happen that you could just lose track of a person and they keep living in your company? Like this is how it happens because it's a town. Like you can lose track of people in a town. Uh, it was yeah, it's. It, it was it was very it was very overwhelming, as you said. I also had the same experience of okay, if 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 my brain got used to this after the first couple of days of just everything is new, everything is overwhelming. It is in its own way. It's a fantastic environment, and I could see, like you said, somehow being my own person working in this environment where everything is incredibly convenient. Um, you know, but it's it's like if I was going to be an employee of a company. The, the Facebook office, I, I felt like, I, I'm not sure that I could work here. And it, it was interesting because we had the comparison just a couple of days later where we went to uh, the Dropbox headquarters, which 
also had a lot of the kind of crazy San Francisco stuff of the of the way like oh there's a bunch of open offices and we have uh you know pink carpeting over here like here here's a here's a gigantic statue of like a silver panda bear that we have put in the center of, yeah. of the office like they have all of this kind of crazy stuff so there there was a similarity of feeling uh but like the Dropbox place as far as an office went like the scale of it was smaller and I thought like okay if I was going to be an employee of a company and I had to choose like do you want to work at Facebook or do you want to work at Dropbox like just based on the environment it's like okay the Dropbox one was just like calmer like especially I was really aware that it was visually calmer and like you said before even though there was absolutely nobody in that gigantic open office when we were there except maybe 10% of the seats something about the way it was set up this is like the dumbest phrase ever, but but it felt like there was like psychic noise. Like I kept thinking yeah. it is like if I was here with a decibel meter, it would not be registering a, much sound. But I, but I felt like it was loud. I feel like it was the way that we were approaching it, right? So when we were in Dropbox, we we're enclosed mm-hmm. by these walls that are around us. So mm-hmm. we feel the space more. So we're whispering. But in the Facebook one, like, there's no walls. Like, the walls are a mile away. Yeah. So I think we feel like we're outside, so we're using our outside voices. That, yeah, that's a good point, because we noticed it right away in the Dropbox headquarters of we were whispering as we're walking through all the various spaces. But it felt like there were the, the actual same amount of people in both, is what it felt yeah. like, right? Yeah, it did. It did. Very, very strange. I, I, I think I'm following the way that you feel about this. If I was going to work for a company... If I was mm-hmm. going to take a job again, I would prefer to be in an environment like Dropbox. But mm-hmm. if I was going to take my own personal business and put it somewhere, I would want to do that inside of Facebook, inside of right. their office. And maybe, like, you know, the way that they set up, I don't know the organizational structure, but you might kind of feel like that there, you know? And if that's the case, I can see how it would work for people. If they feel like they're running their business inside of Facebook, but their business happens to be search ads. Right. then I can see it working. Yeah, and it, it certainly, from the people that we spoke to, it did have that feeling of, like, there are there are a bunch of companies within this company just doing their own thing, sort of unrelated to stuff that other people are, are doing. So, and, and the other thing, like, between the two companies, Dropbox, it seemed like people were, everyone was, like, working, and there was, like, a sense of people getting stuff done, right? They felt mm-hmm. like that. Like, in the cafeteria, we went for lunch there, people were moving around fast. Mm-hmm. Facebook, everyone was so chilled. So yeah, it, it was. I actually looked around the Dropbox cafeteria, and the thing that caught my attention was everybody eating in the Dropbox cafeteria. They were leaning forward, like they were leaning forward and talking to the people uh, at their table. And at Facebook, looking around, at least where we were sitting, I was really aware that everybody was like leaning back in their chairs and talking. <laughs> it's just because it felt like we were at a festival or something. You know? Yeah, it, yeah, it really did. It really did. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I will reiterate your sen- sentiments about working on our own things versus working for a company, and, and which environment would we choose? I, I think that is a that is an accurate summation of the experience of of seeing these places. Final little thing that I just I just want to talk about with Facebook because I mentioned it to everybody as my favorite little detail from this tour, which was Zuckerberg's conference room Uh, slash office you know i was wondering if you were gonna bring this up i just i have to bring this up because just as the apple and and facebook campuses themselves were a a reflection of the company's corporate policies 
Zuckerberg's office to me was just a perfect visual metaphor for what Facebook is. And so in this tremendously long office where there are people absolutely everywhere, at the end of it, we get to Zuckerberg's conference room slash office space. And what you have to what you have to imagine, listener, is we're standing in this big space. There are desks absolutely everywhere in every direction. And in the center of these desks, in the absolute center, like there's no, not yep. against any wall, right? No, not against any wall or anything. There is a glass cube <laughs> that is Zuckerberg's office. So if he was in the inside of that, we could have just walked around the outside of yep. his glass office and looked at him from every single angle. It's like, oh, look, your life and work exposed to everybody. Welcome to Facebook. It was amazing. Yeah, it was. And I was so sad that he wasn't there. You know? Really sad. Yeah, it, it was It was weird. And I, I just kept wondering, like, like, what happens when you have, you know, meet, like meetings with important people from other... Like, you can't, you can't have a secret meeting in that office. You know, you, like, there must... Zuckerberg, you must have some secret bunker somewhere so that when you're hammering out deals with Apple or you're angry at each other about your background audio processing that was totally a mistake. Like, there must be a place that you can go so that people don't see you like arguing with Apple executives about whatever. Like you can't you can't possibly be doing it in that office. It was just yeah, it was so weird, but so perfectly Facebook. Inside of the arcade that we went to, if you put the Konami code into one of the machines, the door opens. <laughs> yeah, like it, it has to be. It has and to it be. It takes you down to the, the, the Zuckerberg lair somewhere below the floor of Facebook. Somewhere in Facebook, there are secret passages to other locations. I refuse to believe otherwise. I want to thank Smile for their support of Cortex. And today, let me tell you a little bit about PDF Pen. It's time for you to break that cycle of scanning, printing, signing, and faxing, right? So let's say somebody sends you something. They email you a PDF that you need to sign. Currently, you need to print it, you need to sign it, then you need to scan it, and you can email it back. Or what if you don't have a scanner? Then you're printing, maybe you're signing, and God forbid you're faxing. It's time to adopt the paperless lifestyle. It's time for you to get your hands on PDF Pen, the ultimate tool for editing PDFs. PDF Pen will let you take control of all of the PDFs that come your way. You can very easily make corrections and redact sensitive information. You can add text and graphics to PDF as well, super simply. You can number pages and so much more. Whatever you need, PDF Pen has got you covered and the new pdf pen 8 is going to further enrich your pdf creation and editing experience you can now make audio notes that you can record in place maybe you want to leave a note for yourself later on and you just want to record it how lovely will that be you can access file attachments you can export to microsoft word without the need of an internet connection to do all of that and you'll be able to sign documents now with digital signatures allowing you to send and receive pdfs with a greater degree of trust than ever before pdf pen is an essential tool in my toolkit on all of the devices that i own learn more about pdf pen right now at smilesoftware.com slash cortex thank you to smile for their support of this show and relay fm all right so listener i need to talk to you for a minute directly here because we experienced vr and for for me 
from Mike. This was the the first time that we had a particular experience like with the equipment that they had available there. And since our day at Facebook, we have been talking to lots of people about this experience with VR. And I, I need I feel the need to kind of put something out there at first because you're going to be listening to us talking about this thing, but it is a very hard thing to talk about. And I, I, I have finally settled on the metaphor, which is oftentimes people who have done hallucinatory drugs will attempt to explain to you what the experience was like. And they are just limited by the words in the English language. And people who have done hallucinatory drugs will also say something like, it was an experience that just changed them but they have a hard time articulating what that means. But they say that it is a thing that will stick with them you know, for a month after doing the actual drugs themselves. And I feel yeah. like what, what we are going to be now is the equivalent of two guys who dropped acid together and are going to try to explain to you what it was like. And so we're going to try to do our best, but I think keeping that in mind can kind of like help you along with this conversation yep uh and it also has my favorite quality of the experience of trying to explain a dream to someone and what you're trying to do is explain the emotional content of an event not the event itself and so like there, there is a there is a story that I like there is a moment that i had in vr that i keep trying to explain to people and every time i do it i feel like i'm explaining why something that that happened in a dream was really important so I just want to I just want to put that out there to try to help you with this conversation. Like listen to the emotional content of what we are describing, not necessarily like the literal description of of what is happening. Like the next 20 minutes are going to just sound like the most hyperbolic two people could probably ever be. Yeah. But yeah. the thing is the four of us that tried it all talk about this the same way. That's that's why I like I feel the need to say this because I know what we are about to sound like, mm-hmm. and I, just, like, I I I know listener how how hyperbolic we are going to sound to you, but it is because we are attempting to describe a thing that is fundamentally impossible to describe. Like it must be experienced; it it, it cannot be described in the same way that. I have heard people describe to me what hallucinatory drugs are like, but since I have never tried them. Like I just know that there is a, there is an experience that a brain can have that I haven't had that cannot be communicated in words, and I think VR is exactly this. There is an experience that can be had in VR that is impossible to explain in words. So, Mike, would you like to explain in words? <laughs> I'm going to dive head in and say that my life has changed. Right, yeah. that something significant has happened in my life now that means it will never be the same as before because I have experienced something that I didn't really know was possible. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we need to mention at this juncture is the setup that we were given access to. So right. I have used VR headsets. I have used mm-hmm. the Oculus before, but always with a traditional game controller. 
Mm-hmm. I have not or had not played the HTC Vive or Vive or however it is said, which comes with their kind of hand controllers. Uh, we were given access to the Oculus Rift demo unit along with some of their touch controller demo units, which were supposed to go on sale when the product was launched but were delayed, and they're going to be coming out very soon, if not basically by the time you hear this, they'll be available for people to purchase. Mm-hmm. So we were given access to this whole set of equipment, and it's this set of equipment that has enabled the experience that we've had. Yeah, so the the equipment that we were given for people who are not familiar with the the various levels of vr right who are just dimly aware that oh there's vr stuff now is that we had the helmet that you put on that completely encapsulates your field of vision so everything you see is is a like a 3d projection in front of you which i was very surprised worked with my glasses <laughs> yeah because i have quite big frames right i mean every mm-hmm. time i took it off my glasses went with the rift <laughs> But but I could wear it with my glasses on. Yeah, I, I, I specifically put on contacts because I was like, I, I want to experience this unobstructed. <laughs> it's just like, if my glasses are going to have, have any hindrance at all, I want to put on contacts. But... No, I wanted to test it. I wanted to see if I could do it and it lived up to it. No, I was all like, my body is ready. I'm prepared for this. <laughs> uh, so then you also, ha- you also have these uh, headphones that go over your ears. Yep. But then the the key piece, which at the time that we are recording is not available uh, to the general public, are these two hand controllers. So they're, they're two little controllers, one for each hand. They have uh, a pair of triggers on them and, and a couple of buttons on them. But they are able to act as virtual hands in the world. And... I, I think Mike is like I I had had zero experience of VR. And this was perfect because I was actually kind of waiting to try a, a system like this. Mm-hmm. I almost didn't want to experience just the 360 degree field of vision that you can look around. I felt like I had a pretty good understanding of what that was. I wanted to experience something where, no, I have hands in the world as well because I suspected that there, that the brain would have a particular reaction to this, which is exactly what I experienced. And Talking to somebody else who was with us there on the day who like owns an Oculus headset and plays tons of games but plays them uh, with a regular Xbox controller, like a regular handheld controller, he said the same thing. Like He was blown away by it like it was an entirely different thing from just, just the headset. All right, so let me try to walk through what it is that I'm, I'm, I'm explaining here about that happens to your brain in, in virtual reality. So... Uh, there were six people with us that day. Every single one of us had some variation on a moment where a thing occurred in the virtual world and we realized that our brains had just totally bought into the experience. Yep. Right? E- each one of us has been repeating over and over to everyone who will listen, to every person we can grab on the street, like, you don't understand, I had this moment. And... That, like the moment doesn't particularly matter, but all of us had this kind of thing. So, the 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 basic description that we can give without getting into like I was in a dream, like and then I saw this thing and I went over here was they started us off on a first person shooter simulation that's designed to just get you used to look over here. You have these two hands in this virtual world. You can pick up objects. 
so there's like there's a very brief tutorial that you walk through and then you find yourself essentially if you've seen the matrix playing a matrix game right the world can slow down there's guys who are coming after you you can teleport to different locations and you can shoot them and you're playing this game and because you have virtual hands in the world with these two controllers that you're using you're picking up weapons you're throwing objects you're you're able to physically block objects that are that are coming into you and for me my little moment of my brain has totally bought into this was i accidentally in the game kind of dropped the weapon that i was holding and you can slow down the world and so i i, I dropped the gun accidentally i slowed down the world as the gun was falling like i turned my head to watch it fall in slow motion and just reached out with my virtual hand grabbed it as it was falling like at the moment that an enemy appeared in my peripheral vision on the other side like turned and shot him and it and then it was just holy shit like my brain just made this world real in this moment. And yep. and this is what I mean by it. it's this dreamlike state. It's very hard to explain. It's not the big deal about like, oh, I dropped a gun and shot a guy and it was super cool. It was like, no, this was the moment where my brain just let go of its normal experience of existing in the world and was existing in a place so that you could have a reflex that would happen unlearned just like in the real world. Right. Yep. Just like in the real world, if you know if something catches your peripheral vision or like something drops off a table and you, you grab it, you just you react in a way that is just so natural and that you don't think about it, which is very rarely an experience that you have in a traditional game unless you have practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. Like this was an event that occurred maybe two minutes into playing the game. And that like that is the thing that makes the difference. My brain just accepted these virtual hands. These are my hands, right? This, this train station that I am in, I am in this train station. And so if an object falls that I want to catch, just engage all of the normal reflexes that you would in the real world and perform all of the actions that you would in the real world totally naturally. And each one of us had some little moment like that very quickly where you realize, I, as far as my brain is concerned, I am here. Here, there is nowhere else. I am here. Yeah, in this game, I had kind of two instances like this, which amassed a kind of one type of thing that you're talking about. So the first mm. part for me is you start off in this train carriage, and part of the demo, like part of the t- tutorial, you would call it, is to try and get you to think like this. Mm. One of the things that it does is it says like, just look to your right, and there's like a, a, a Chinese takeout box. And the, the tutorial says, pick it up. Like, that's it, right? No, like, press A to, mm-hmm. like, just pick it up. So you reach down with the hand that you can see, and you grab it, and I pick it up. And the way that I put it down is a way that I would never put down something in a video game. Because mm-hmm. I picked it up, I realized what I was supposed to do, and I threw it over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And that was such an, a... That's the way I would probably do that in the real world, right? Just pick it right. up. It's like, right, I'm done with this now. And that i i remember the action of just throwing it over my shoulder and immediately it clicked in my brain it's like that was weird why did i mm-hmm. do that why did mm-hmm. i throw it rather than just let go right right 
and it was very it was a very strange moment for me because then from then on i was like i've got this and i walked through the door just started picking up guns and picking off targets and it was it was like immediate i was like right nailed it let's do this and the other part for me which was one of the kind of the cool reflex things was one of the things you could do in the game or i think is the best possible thing in this game i think it's called bullet bullet train i think um Mm -hmm. when when you were able to slow down time you could grab bullets from the sky and throw them at people Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. the bullets that were being shot at you you could pick them up and throw them back um there was a moment where I had a bunch of people around me and my gun ran out of ammo. So I just dropped the gun, slowed down time. I leant backwards, Mm -hmm, turned my head to grab a bullet that was behind me and then threw it at someone. And it was like, um, okay. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Badass Mike for doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And and again, it, it is that, that thing of the game hasn't told you to do this. This is just, it is as though you woke up one day and you could slow down time. You would very naturally just start doing a bunch of stuff, right? It, it, it wouldn't even occur to you not to. Yep. And, and that, is, that is the different thing. Like, like we, we keep saying, again, to everybody whose collars we can grab to bring them close to tell them the truth, right? It's, it's like, we had this experience of being in these environments. This, this was not like... I have had some amazing experiences playing super cool games, you know, like like very, very fancy arcade car simulations like that or screens around you, like all of this kind of stuff. And my reaction to all of those was the same of this is super fun, right? Like this is an amazing, fun driving simulator, like and the machines moving around me like this is great. Like I'm having a fantastic time. But the experience of this matrix like shoot 'em up simulator was an experience of i am i am there right i am there doing this thing and it's it's almost like i wouldn't even describe it as fun because it was it was just so intense yeah and it's like okay i i am just in this environment this is this is really what's happening and it it, it was it was not like woohoo reckless abandon it, it was it was just an experience that is very hard to articulate and and i i too like you feel like again reaching for metaphors here this is not even an appropriate comparison but i i keep feeling like the only other day that i remember having this feeling was the day i got married where i remember driving home after getting married you know in the car with my brand new bride and and thinking oh the whole of my life is different now and like <laughs> Is that an appropriate metaphor for like get, get experiencing VR? But it's like it's the like my brain is just reaching for something that is similar, and and I feel the VR experience was the same way. Like just as in oh, I had this like this life before I was married, and then like my life after getting married is just different, and I and I feel like this is this is another marker. Like everything that came before VR is just different now from everything that came after vr it's like i have experienced the moldability the plasticness of the human mind and its ability to drop into and accept fundamentally different environments the, the one that i keep thinking of is when i first tried the iphone mm-hmm. and i just knew that it, everything was different 
Everything that I thought I knew about technology had changed that day. And everything that I know about video games has changed. But it's way mm-hmm. more than that as well. Like, it's, it's, it's far more. It's, it's far, far more. more than just video games. It's like, this is kind of, I feel so crazy saying stuff like this. But this has changed my perception of reality. Because I have had a reality that isn't my own. I have experienced it. This is why I open with the drug metaphor. Yeah, because it's it's what we sound like. But I also think that it is true because I have had this same thing of just reality feels different now in the same way that people who who drop hallucinatory drugs, they will describe to me that reality feels different. I said, like, I know (laughs) I I spent a thousand years, you know, communicating with the lamp in my room right when I was high. And like now I just cannot look at a lamp and feel the same way again. You're like, okay, you're a lunatic. But now I also feel the same way. Like even just this morning preparing for this podcast, I was walking around San Francisco and as I always do, kind of like booting up into my head, what are we going to talk about? And like, But somehow my experience of walking around San Francisco this morning, my experience of everything is just different after VR in this way that I cannot articulate. It's, it's just different. It's just different. So I, there was one other part that I wanted to talk about to try and further explain this feeling. Mm-hmm. So there was another game that we played it was more of a demo where they hook up Mm -hmm. two oculuses together i don't think they're going to release this because that is an insane amount of work and money right to Mm -hmm. hook up two complete machines but they've they've demoed this and it's toy it's they think they call it toy box or something and you were in one room and i was in another room and we're basically just in a room with a lot of objects in it that you can interact with so we're like playing around there's guns in there we're like shooting targets and stuff and then i saw a slingshot on the table mm-hmm. and I picked up the slingshot and I just started firing pellets I guess at, at phases and breaking mm-hmm. them I don't remember the buttons that I pressed mm-hmm. yes all I remember when I tell this story to people is the action of firing a slingshot yeah there were no instructions in the games that we played because all you did was just interact with stuff there were boomerangs on the table I picked one up and I threw it and then I caught it and I picked up two and threw them both. It was like, right. I'm just in this world. Like I am interacting with stuff. Like I use my hands to interact with things all the time. Yeah. And my brain was like, we're going on this journey, buddy. Like there is no problem. I can deal with this. There is a little moment that was interesting that all six of us did and you could see everybody do it. And even the people who saw the first of us do it thought like, oh, that's funny. But then they did it themselves, which was when you for the very first time boot into the world and you have these controllers in your hands, what happens is what in your field of vision, what you see are basically the like the a kind of outline of two blue hands. And everybody did the exact same thing. If they raise up these hands and you kind of rotate them in your field of vision. So you're looking at these hands and you're seeing that they're moving the way the controllers move. And then there's a trigger that you can pull which will close those hands so it's the grip motion. Every single person did the exact same thing. They put their hands in their field of vision. They rotated them perfectly back and forth. And then they pulled the trigger right in front of them so that the hands would open and close. I am convinced. I'm absolutely convinced that every one of us did that because your brain is remapping its movement protocol. It's understanding what it can do. And it's like, okay, I now can move my thumb my index finger and then my other three fingers. That's all I can do now. This is what my right. this is what my hands do. I'm in this world. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Right. It is a brain accepting its hands. 
And th- and this is why it's so hard to explain because after that moment, we all had that same experience of you don't feel like you're pulling a trigger on a controller because your brain has just decided, oh, these are my hands now, right? And so even though in reality what you're doing is, you know, you're pulling your middle finger closed on a trigger, in the virtual world what's happening is your whole hand is closing on an object. And so the feeling is your whole hand is closing on an object. That's how it feels. You don't feel that you're pulling a trigger. And the the closest I can come up with this is I've seen some interesting descriptions of people who have had uh, limbs amputated, but then you know some some very advanced artificial limbs can do things like oh they'll they'll look for muscle pulls in the upper part of an arm right to close the hand, and so a person learns oh if they tense a per- certain part of their shoulder they can open and close their hand, but after a little while what happens is they have a subjective sense of opening and closing their hand because their brain has just rewired itself. So that, oh, this muscle group is how I open and close my hand. I can see this artificial hand opening and closing on an object. And the brain just learns this is what that is. Like, I am absolutely convinced that the VR experience is the same thing. It's the plasticness of the brain just accepting these virtual hands are mine. And I am experiencing the sensation of holding an object because I can see it. And the sequence of muscles that is needed to trigger to close the hand around this object that is irrelevant because from the brain's perspective it is always irrelevant like the brain just knows it's sending out some electrical signal and it's receiving some feedback and and this is what your brain does to grab an object and so it just it just accepts it and the startling thing is it accepts it so quickly and it becomes so real and i think if if for those who haven't experienced VR, there's a, there's a this is like this is like the tiniest babyest thing that you can do to understand what we're trying to talk about, but but the human brain has this this funny um this funny thing I can't remember what it's called I think I think the name of this is something like tool sensation uh but if you take a pencil and a piece of paper in front of you and start drawing on the paper when you do that. Focus your attention on the sensation of drawing. And if you pay attention to this, you can recognize that you don't feel the pencil in your hand so much when you're drawing. You feel the tip of the pencil on the paper. Yeah, this is why pen addicts love pens and paper, by the way. It's that feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, right? I just realized I'm talking to the exact right guy. Um, but it, it's it's a thing that you don't think about it, but but seriously, pay attention to this and you will notice that you have a physical sensation that is outside of your body, right? You're having a physical sensation where the pencil meets the paper. And of course, you don't have nerves in the pencil tip. There's no way for you to feel that. But your brain has learned over the years of using a pencil that certain sensations of vibration that come back from the pencil, like they map to certain visual experiences of the pencil on the paper. And so your brain has learned to place a physical sensation at a point outside of your body. And you can also sometimes notice this with like using a hammer and striking the head of a nail. You physically feel the head of the hammer striking the nail 
but you don't have any nerves there. That's a sensation outside of your body. Like your brain is very willing to place sensation where there is none. This happens all the time and you just don't notice it. And the, and like VR is taking advantage of that. Like it is it is leaning into the wiring of the brain and the way the brain wants to experience the world. And so that's why we all have this, I cannot believe this experience because it felt like I had hands. I was picking up objects. I was throwing things. Like Mike said, his memory is, I picked up a slingshot. Because at that point, he was 20 minutes into his brain mapping, these blue hands are my hands. So I'm just picking up stuff. He's not thinking about, oh, to perform this action, I had to do quite a complicated thing of pulling two separate triggers on two different controllers and and locating your hands. Like, none of that. Like, it's all just gone. It all just becomes natural. Uh, It was no coincidence in my mind that as we all finished playing, we were all joking about how we were picking things up. Like, oh, I'm just picking things up with my three fingers here and my my index Mm -hmm. finger. And I think that, I honestly believe that we all made that joke because our brains were like, hang on, buddy, what's happening here? (laughs) These are different hands now. Like, we've just spent a bunch of time with that limited movement and now we're back to normal again. And it did feel weird. And it was incredible absolutely incredible i had a funny little moment uh with steven uh steven hackett of connected where uh, i can't remember why but we I, w- I was helping him like transfer the the gear off of him i helped get the controllers out of his hands while the vr helmet was still on his head and and he said he had a little freak out moment because his brain suddenly registered that he was paralyzed right because the controllers were no longer in his hands and he was like, I can't, I have no hands anymore. Like he had, his brain had just like a little freak out because it's like, oh, the mapping is just gone. I have no ability to influence the world. It's a subjective feeling like someone cut off his hands. And I've heard that mirrored by um, people who have just used like a, like a headset where a game is less interactive. But if there is a visual representation of the player, like looking down and seeing your hands, but if you can't move them in the game, like some people have said they have a weird, like paralyzed freak out about that. Like the brain does not, does not like that. I think that, like again, this is one of the reasons why these touch controllers, they're so important because they are what grounds the brain in the world. They are what forces the brain to accept this input as just a new physical location. In that toy box mode, there was something that I need to address that we did. Mm-hmm. So it's me and you playing together. We could look at each other and we would see like disembodied hands and a disembodied head wearing an Oculus Rift. They were the graphical representations of us both in separate rooms. We could also right. hear each other. There were microphones and we could hear each other in our headsets. Right. So I, I could look to my left and I could see Mike's head and Mike's hands. Yep. And also, very strangely, brain just totally accepts that immediately. Oh, that's Mike. Right. Mike's just standing next to me, even though he's in the other room. I had a like a physical presence of yeah. I had that too. I knew you were there even when I wasn't looking at you. Right, like Mike is just next to me, uh, and and that's also part of the the tricks that they're pulling with the audio and and the way the the headsets work is when you're just kind of like talking out loud about what you're doing. I can hear you next to me, and you're there. Like we are at a virtual table together. That is the sensation. So I'm playing around, and we're in this blue room and there's this gray desk in front of us and that's where like all the toys are the boomerangs and stuff at one point gray finds this like 
puppet, a hand puppet, which I didn't like, right? <laughs> I actively disliked this puppet because he was talking and moving the hand. And I, I asked him to stop it, and he did. But I really didn't like it. The brain mapping thing is so weird because I pick up the puppet and immediately the, the visual representation is that my hand is inside the back of a puppet so I can make the mouth move. And again, it's just perfectly natural. So I move the puppet over to Mike, like I put it right in his face. And I'm like, hello, Mike, right? <laughs> Making the mouth move open and closed. Uh, it was a horrifying puppet. Mike did not like it. <laughs> so then all of a sudden, the room goes completely gray. Now, I knew mm-hmm. that gray had the ability to change the environment that we were in. Yeah, so- it was a bit of a funny situation because the, the, the game has two roles where one person is the presenter. And so my perspective was I was able to essentially like reach out and touch buttons that would move us to different tables in different locations that could do different things. So I thought we were in a different room. Mm -hmm. And then I hear, hello, Mike, but like, hello, Mike. And I turn (laughs) to my right and gray Mm -hmm. is massive. And then Mm -hmm. I realize he has shrunk me. He picked up this special shrink ray and he shrunk me and then proceeded to (laughs) terrorize me in which Gray was throwing big things at me and he was like shooting me with stuff and I was trying to like pick up the gun to shoot myself back to size but I couldn't pick it up because I was too small. Right, when you're too small you can't manipulate any of the objects. Then he picked up the puppet again. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to put in the show notes a video which I think best represents what VR can do to someone which mm-hmm. is me cowering and basically begging him to stop <laughs> I was like so like I was enjoy I had an enjoyment of this but I was uncomfortable with it, right? Like at the same time, it was like that mix of things because there was something happening that I didn't like, but I knew it was fun. If you like, it was like when you go to like, you may have never done anything like this, but uh, like London dungeons and and places like that where you have a sense of fear, but it's fun fear because you know it's safe within the environment that you're in. Right, right. So it's like controlled fear, like the adrenaline Mm -hmm. of it is all you get without the actual dying part. And mm-hmm. I was kind of having that feeling because there was nothing I could do and I was scared, but like it's like nervous laughter and I'm like just kind of cowering, like basically approaching a fetal position at one point. It was so strange. Yeah, the thing that's interesting is, I mean, you were genuinely having that that physical reaction. Like that is the thing that's on the video is so interesting and, and talking to you about it later is... Like, what is the reason for you to cower, right? There, There is no reason for that. Why am I putting my arms in front of my face? Yeah. Why am I protecting my right. body? There's no point to do that. <laughs> yeah, there, there's absolutely there's absolutely no point to do it. And it was, it, it was fascinating. And um, <laughs> yeah, so, so I eventually, like, and, you know, from my perspective, I'm seeing a tiny mic on the table. And I'm like, hello, right? Like the giant <laughs> puppet. Like, hilarious uh, for me. I eventually did, you know, return you back to normal size. Uh, and... Uh, so then we swapped, like I was able to hand you the, the shrink ray gun, which by the way is only on the side of the person who's the presenter, right? so like, you couldn't have grabbed it anyway. Uh, so I hand you the shrink ray gun, because I just I wanted to experience like, okay, what was this thing? And so then you shrink shrink me down, and, and so again, like the whole perspective shifts. And 
again, it was it was amazing how much the brain just buys into it immediately of, oh, okay, my perspective is showing me everything around me being gigantic that I was looking at before. The perspective is now from inches off of the surface of the table. It's not from above the table anymore. And so looking over and I see a big mic and, and my brain just totally buys into I, I am now two inches tall standing on a table, right? There's like, there's no reason that a brain has ever, ever had that experience. But I think the inputs are so seamless combined with the motion of the hands in this virtual space that the brain's just, okay, this is what it is now. I'm just tiny on a table. And I knew that my brain was totally bought in because when you shrink, the simulation puts you right on the edge of the table which I didn't realize at first. Mm. And the only time I was genuinely startled in this Oculus day, like like the gun simulation was just like, I, I have to admit, it was amazing slowing down the world in Matrix, like teleporting around and just like assassinating people. Right? It was just, like fantastic, loved it. Um, but I was genuinely startled, shrunk down on the table when I turned and in my peripheral vision saw the edge of the table and then I turned to see where I was standing, and that was a time where I almost fell, because in the simulation I could see the edge, and then like this tremendous distance down. And in the in the actual world, like I am trying to turn around and then suddenly take a step back because my brain's like, "You are standing on the edge of a precipice." And again, it was just totally bought into it, and you know, no doubt about it. And my brain and body just reacted to an immediate sense of danger that you did not realize you're standing two inches away from a subjective hundred foot drop. It was it was astounding. It was absolutely astounding. So I have another weird thing. Mm-hmm. I have zero memory of shrinking you. Zero. I don't remember doing it. <laughs> you're telling me this. I cannot, and I'm trying to like put it together in my brain. I have, from my perspective, the game ended. After the point mm-hmm. where you shrunk me down, I don't remember. I don't remember it because it's so traumatic. Yeah, I don't honestly don't remember anything else from that point. Uh, to me, the game ended. How weird is that? I don't remember doing it. Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I am not surprised because after after our our, our our day at Facebook, so you know, we were looking at all of the offices, and then you know, we did this virtual experience together. That again, like I made a joke, but it was not a joke about how like this the six guys like the six of us who went through that thing i've said like you know like we are brothers in blood at this moment like we have gone through a thing together all of us have had this incredible experience all of us are trying to talk to each other about what it is like like we we had like this bonding event that that is just unique in a life is again it sounds to the listener like crazy hyperbole but it is not like that is that is the subjective experience of this our relationships as a group have changed because we yeah. went through this together, like uh, yeah, categorically, that is a fact. Yeah, that, that with, without a doubt. But so combine this with what I just found to be, you know, an overwhelming day at, at Facebook, just in general, yep. with the with the scale of it all, and like all of this new experience, and and the bizarro town, and then doing this virtual reality experience, and. You know, I was just, you know, we're, we're like driving in the car back and, and you know, some of us were just like talking and then alternately just like quiet for long periods of time. We're all just there in our own heads and then like talking about it again. We get back to the hotel room and, you know, again, going back to Mike's uh, busy, busying up my calendar. 
you know, th- theoretically, there was a bunch of stuff that we were supposed to do that evening. But, you know, I went into the hotel room. I, I took a shower. And then my, my brain just said, oh, those, those tiles on the floor, they look really nice, don't they? I was like, yeah, they do. They do. So I, I like sat down and like, hey, why, why don't you just lie down for a second? My brain is telling me. And I, I just lay down on the bathroom floor Why? looking at the white ceiling, no joke, for like three hours. And, and what, what, like, I think what was happening was... <laughs> oh, no, I broke him. My brain was like input buffer full writing to disk. <laughs> like cannot accept any more input. I just needed to stare at a white wall for three hours. Like totally awake, totally awake, not sleeping, just like laying down and like there needs to be nothing for a while while some part of my brain just processes the events of the day it it was it was like nothing else it was like nothing else are you gonna buy one yes (laughs) because the oculus rift is a uh it's an investment right because you have to buy the rift headset the touch controllers and a capable PC to do this stuff, and that is it's it's quite a, a total that you get to by the end of that. Oh yeah, it, it is it is not a small investment. M- my feeling is that, like I w- I'm I want to see like when do these touch controllers when are they available to the general public? Like I'm I'm going to see when when that is, but. It, to me, it's it's just it's just no question. Like I, I have to be able to experience this again. You know, not not in a demo environment, like on on my own time. And you know, I, I really think that this is a, a coming phase change in technology. In, in the way that you said, you like you you keep reaching for the iPhone experience. Like stuff is just different now. And you know, like what was different with the iPhone level touchscreens is they got the responsiveness down under a certain level that you feel like you are, you know, with a slide to unlock, for example, you feel like you are moving an object on a screen and you are directly interacting with the device. You're not having a level of indirection like with a mouse and with a keyboard. And the, the VR experience is that same thing. Of like I'm in a world, I'm really here, I'm really interacting with stuff. And I, and I feel like this is just... This this is just obviously a phase change moment in technology. And one of the things I, I, I even keep thinking about is before they even load you into the game, they, they have like, like a matrix style like loading area. They need a place for you to stand to see that the machine is on, like then where you're going to select what you're going to play. And what you're standing in before things start is just this beautiful Zen garden house. You know, and I'm just looking around. And it's like, oh, this is this is beautiful. There's a tree over here. There's a little waterfall. I have like this vision of the sky, and all all the rest of this. And and even even just that moment, I'm sitting there thinking, well, this is an amazing work environment. <laughs> like, what? Why, why? Why wouldn't I have a virtual environment in which to do work? I can have a keyboard here. I can have a screen here to type on, right? Like they're just like the possibilities of this seem endless to me. 
Right? They, they seem absolutely endless because what you are doing is you are remapping the input into the brain and the brain is having having an experience in a different place. And so this is starting with games, but this this is applicable to literally everything that you do. Right? Literally everything that you do eventually. So yes, I want to get on board this train and experience this again and think about it deeply in in the future and and see where see where this is going uh and so yes i i am i am definitely going to to do it the biggest problem of course is in london in small spaces Mm -hmm. trying to figure out like where where is this going to go like how does this fit in the world and i think i think that's the same problem you have because i feel like you're on board this as well like you're trying to figure out what's going to happen next see i have an order placed a pre-order for the playstation vr headset Mm -hmm. um which i have not tried but all intents and purposes is is similar because you know you have the hand-based controllers they're different but they are proxies for your hands right that kind of Mm -hmm. thing um, and I think that, like, having looked at the hardware and what it's capable of, I think the Oculus will probably give a better experience. But if I got 75% of what I got with the Oculus, with the PlayStation VR, that's still more than enough. Um, yeah, all I need, I feel, like, at a base level is just an environment in which I can operate hands. And those hands, like, I've learned, like, it doesn't matter what the button arrangement is is how I'm assuming. It's just my hands just need to map to their new movement mechanism, whatever that ends up being, right? Um, like that That's how I think it's going to be. So I'm... I'm Because looking at Oculus ship dates, it's like September. So I'm going to wait to see what the PSVR is like. And if that is good enough, then I'm going to stick with that. But if I try the PSVR and, st- and don't feel like how I felt this week, then I will be investing, unfortunately, uh, in the Oculus system. <sighs> Thanks, Andy and John. Man. Yeah. Thanks so much to Andy and John who who made this day possible for us with, with the tour of Facebook and access to the unreleased Oculus stuff. It, it, uh, it was really a day that I will never forget. 